So after the service, go grab your, your notebook and the notes for the first night, and then you just add to it every week. We're going to go through three weeks of how we got the book. Tonight, we're calling it You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. How many of you have AOL? How many of you recognize You've Got Mail? It was a Hollywood movie, wasn't it? I didn't see it, but I... Anyway. And go back there and grab it afterwards, and that way they'll have time to put it all together and, uh, and find the rock I need to release. Here comes Mr. Find the Rock, George Dossett. Find the Rock needs to go. Thank you. God bless you, Find the Rock. Have a great night. Give them a hand as they go. That's a great class. Great class. And I'm so thankful for the people that are uh, being led into our church. And boy, Sunday, we had a huge harvest of souls in the second service. It was just um, all the way across, people getting right with God, getting saved. Uh, powerful, powerful service. So, but we're going to look at how we got our Bible. Now, why in the world would I share this? Well, Paul often in the New Testament talked about how he was two things, a preacher and a teacher. The word preacher is the word for herald or a proclaimer of the gospel. Teacher is, the, is from the Greek word that just means to teach or to lay precept upon precept, line upon line, to teach the word of God. I want you to be confident in your Bible. How many of you have your Bible with you? Boy, you ought not come to Wednesday night without a Bible. I used to tell our folks, you wouldn't come in your underwear, don't come without your Bible. Now hold your Bible up. Unfortunately, there's people today that would come in their underwear. But here it is. Hold your Bible up. Now, this is your sword. This is your shield. And you ought to have full confidence that this is the Word of God that He has given to you. And if you'll let me, I'm going to ground you in your confidence in the Word of God. Where you know that you know this is God's Word and you can defend the faith with skeptics who question you and give you a hard time about your faith. So we're going to look tonight, and I can't, there we go, how we got the Bible, and somebody needs to grab Jeff, because that's doing it again. I don't know what's wrong with the projector. With the, is it okay up there? All right. Well, I can't read that back there. Everybody say praise God. The devil attacks these things every Wednesday night. I've got it right here. I've got one, but I like reading it back there. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that you will bless it in the mighty name of Jesus. Establish your people in the truth of the Word of God. And we thank you for it, Lord, and bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to believe like you've never believed before. All right, are we, are we anywhere near being able to get it, TJ? Okay, I'll just read out of this. But you guys can see it back here. My problem is if I'm going to change it, I can't see it back there. So let me try it. Okay, <laughs> but I have nothing back here. Everybody pray for me. All right, I can do it, says Kathy. You know what I might do? I might do this, where I can kind of turn partway. There we go. Amen. 
Okay, please, Marsha, run and get Jeff, if you would. TJ, there we go. You got it, TJ? And Jeff is there? Are we going? Are we good? Y'all fellowship a minute. All right, we're good. But see how instant in season I was? Did you catch that? God gave me a God idea. Now, why teach on how we got our Bible? Why teach on how we got our Bible? Let me give you some reasons to be informed. If we claim the Bible as the Word of God, we should have a basic understanding of how it came to be. Now, let me ask you a million-dollar question. Do you believe this is the Word of God from cover to cover, word for word? How many of you think that it might just have part of the Word of God in it or some good ideas in it? That's what a lot of our culture believes. But see, if you're going to fight the devil with it, if you're going to build your life on it, if you're, gonna, if you're going to preach it and teach it and share it, then you've got to believe that it is the Word of God. So we need to be informed so that we can have an understanding of how it came to be. Now, the second is to give a defense. 1 Peter 3.15 said, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice those words quickly. Uh, you don't share the Word of God like a know-it-all. You don't share it uh, uh, intolerantly or condescendingly. But how are you to do it? In gentleness and in reverence. That is, I respect that you have your opinions. Let me share with you why I believe that this is the Word of God. All right? Christians should be able to explain intelligently the basis of the Christian faith. This certainly would include our trust in the Bible, because the Bible is what got you saved. That is, you heard the claims of the Bible and you turned to Jesus in faith based on, for instance, John 3.16. So if it's not the Word of God, we're all deluded. Amen? Now, another reason is to have greater assurance. This is another reason we teach on how we got our Bible. Have greater assurance. A study of how we got our Bible will give you greater assurance that the Bible you hold in your hand is accurate and truly represents what God originally gave to the prophets. And this is why I'm teaching this leading up to Genesis. This is sort of the prelude to Genesis because the controversy out there is that Genesis is a fairy tale, that Genesis is a myth, that it's a fable, that it's an allegory, that it's a metaphor, but that it's not literally to be taken true. But it is actually to be literally taken uh, for what it says, historically and every other way. So I'm leading up to Genesis by this, how we got our Bible, because I want you to have confidence that the claims of Genesis are absolutely accurate. Amen? Now, there's three main links in what we call the revelatory process or how something was revealed to people. So when I talk about the revelatory process, I'm talking about how did God reveal or communicate himself to you and to me? How many of you can say tonight, Pastor Jeff, I know that God has communicated with me? All right? Amen. Well, how did he do it? How does he do it? The study of how we got our Bible can be summarized into three main sections, inspiration, canonization, and transmission. Now, let me tell you what those things mean. Inspiration. 
Inspiration is the first link in the chain of revelation is inspiration. Inspiration deals with what God did, namely breathing out the scriptures. Inspiration is what gives the Bible its authority. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Inspiration. Very, very important. What does that mean? We're going to find out tonight. Now, canonization is the second link of the revelatory process, how God spoke to us. And that deals with how the inspired books of God came to be recognized as Holy Scripture. How, how are these books, these 66 books, how are they put together? Who chose what would be in this Bible and what wouldn't? Why did they choose it? What, how did this book that's called the completed canon, C-A-N-O-N, so we talk about the canonization, or when these books were put together into one book comprised of 66 books, how did it happen? Who was involved? How can I know they were right? We're going to deal with that next time. All right? Then the third, inspiration tells us how the Bible received its authority. But canonization tells us how these books came to be accepted by men. Very important. Then transmission. The third link, transmission, deals with how the original autographs or manuscripts of the Bible were copied and whether these copies accurately reflect the original autographs or manuscripts. In other words, with every one of these books, there was an original first writing. Okay? There was a first Ephesians. There was a little piece of papyrus that the first letters, the first books, the first time it was written down. How do we know that those very first ones, copied and then recopied and copied again and recopied, have come down to us accurately. That's what we call transmission. How accurately were they copied? Now, tonight, Revelation. Say with me, God has spoken. Let's say it good and loud. One, two, three. God has spoken. Amen. I'm so glad for that. Now, what's the definition of the word revelation? Well, it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. And we went over this in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the, the apocalypse or the apocalypsis. It means disclosure or unveiling. Let me tell you something about God. Everything you know about God, He revealed to you. You didn't discover it. He revealed it to you. You didn't go find God. God came and found you. When you began to understand the scriptures, it wasn't your brilliant mind that opened up the word, nor mine. God revealed himself to us. We have the Bible because God said, here's what I want you to know about me. That's why I call this tonight, you've got mail. Because the Bible is God's mail to you. It's his love letters to you. It is God saying, I want you to understand me. Here's the things I want you to know about me. I'm holy. I'm just. I'm a God of love. I'm righteous. I'm long-suffering. I'm patient. I cannot fellowship with sin. I, I, I'm this way. I'm that way. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Here's what I want you to understand about me. And he revealed himself. And he revealed himself primarily through the Word of God. So, revelation, disclosure, unveiling. 
God's showing us who He is. Revelation has to do with disclosing, uncovering, or unveiling what previously was hidden. We would never have known it. Making known what had formerly been a secret. When used theologically, revelation refers to God's deliberate manifestation of His plans, His character, and Himself. Now, I'm giving you where I got this so that if you want to go look it up and study further, you can. This will be in your notes. You get this. If you want to go find that book and look it up, do it. I'm just, I'm giving you my sources, okay? All right, now, two categories of revelation. Here they are. There are two avenues through which God has taken the initiative to reveal himself. How many of you are so glad that God decided to reveal himself to us? I mean, amen. Aren't you, every day, doesn't it help you immensely to know who you're walking with? and who you've trusted, and what he can be trusted to do. All right. Here they are. There's general revelation and special revelation. The two ways that God has decided to reveal himself. Now, here's general revelation. I want you to understand this. General revelation deals with the truths God has revealed about himself and to all mankind through nature. All right? That's general revelation, providential control, and conscience. God has revealed himself to the normal observer out there, to anybody out there. God has said, here's my signature, here's my autograph. It is nature, it's my providential control of the world, and it is your conscience. I've written my word in your conscience, and I have created this incredible creation that shouts design. Not an accident. If you're an evolutionist in here, evolution has made a monkey out of you. Because if you really stop and think about evolution and its claims, it takes a far greater leap of faith to believe in evolution than it does that God designed it. And obviously, we are in a world that is here by design, not happenstance, obviously. So, general revelation, though not adequate to obtain salvation, it won't tell you about Jesus, it won't tell you about the blood, but it reveals certain truths about God's nature to all of humanity. General revelation. Nature. Let's talk about nature for a minute. God has revealed important truths about himself and the guilt of man through nature. Romans 1 said, from what God created... It reveals even his eternal power and Godhead from what God has created. Listen to what Psalms 19, we all know this. The heavens are telling the glory of God. They are every day preaching and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. When you look up in the stars and the planets and the birds and the animals, the trees, the rhythm of nature, the beautiful, glorious creation, it's God's signature. And the Bible says that those who deny that aren't just ignorant, but they're willfully ignorant. They are choosing to not believe it. They are choosing to reject the clear knowledge of God. Nature reveals God's glory. And the fact that he exists. There is no other explanation for this world and the universe around us. No other explanation but the hand of the living God. Just think about your eyeball. Just think about it. Are you telling me that some 
series of gases and chemicals got together billions of years ago in some primordial sea and mixed together and fellowship together and shared together and worked together to put together the optic nerve in your eye, the pupil that contracts or dilates, the, the, the beauty of just your eye, that that, hey, listen, leave your garage empty for a million years. Just leave it empty. Open a couple of windows and let all the dust and dirt in and tell me in a million years you're going to have an eyeball in there. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. God revealed himself through nature. Romans 1, 18 to 21 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are, every unbeliever, every godless person is without excuse. Because God has said, here I am, look at what I've made. It's obvious, it's apparent, and you must admit it. Creation also shows that God is all-powerful and that the whole human race is guilty of sin and without excuse. Paul said they are without excuse. They are without excuse. There will be no excuse at the judgment seat. When you face God and God says, what did you do with my son? What did you do with what I clearly revealed to you? about myself. What'd you do with it? And you go, well, well you know, I, I was an evolutionist. I just didn't know. He's going to say, no, you're without excuse because I signed my signature on creation. Now, how about providence? Well, providence just means God's in control of the whole universe. That's providence. And God has revealed himself through providential control. Uh, when we studied the book of Revelation, what came through that series more than any single thing uh, was the providence of God in history. God is in charge of his world, and history is going to be his story. Uh, uh, it may look like man's in control. It may look like evil, wicked people are in control. But no, God is providentially in control of his universe, and it's going to wind up, end up exactly as he wants. That's providence. And you know what? You can trust the providence of God in your own life. When people wrong you, when they betray you, when they work against you and hinder you and, and uh, uh, offend you. And it seems like people and events have come together to, to hinder and prevent God's will in your life. I'm telling you, the providence of God will order the circumstances so that ultimately His will is done. Providence says God's in charge. Matthew 5.45, Jesus taught that God makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. People who get up every day and curse his name, God lets the sun shine on them. And people who all day long live in sin, God makes the rain to fall on them and to water the crops and feed them. Our God is a God who blesses the evil and the good. He doesn't bless their evil, but he blesses them in hopes that the goodness of God will lead them to repentance. All right? So God has graciously given people the sunshine and rain that they need to function. I'm telling you, if I was God, there are days I'd vaporize this planet. What about you? There are days I would zap whole cities and whole nations. Thank God I'm not God. And thank God you're not God. Amen? 
Acts 14, 15 through 17, look at this. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, and he fills your hearts with joy. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God, and he does that every day. He has provided food rain and gladness for people. For entire atheistic nations who will not acknowledge him, he still gives them what they need. That's the goodness of God. We serve a great God. That's why we say around here, God is good all the time. Daniel 2.21, he talks about he changes times and seasons. That is God. Changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. God sets people up and brings people down. God allows nations to come into existence, and then when God decides it, he takes them away. That's our God. He's providential. God's control is seen through the raising up and the removing of world rulers. It looked like Hitler was going to rule the world. It looked like that nation of Germany was unified was strong and was able and capable of taking over the whole world. But God said, that's it, Adolf. You're going no further. And God brought him down. God raises up and God brings down. Do you know that's true? He's in charge, ultimately, of this world. Now, what about our conscience? God has placed in the heart of man an intuitional knowledge concerning himself. Now, this was, I was talking to an agnostic one day, probably an atheist, and this person said to me, I, you know, I just don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a God that exists. And now I knew this person. And I knew that this person, oddly enough, was a very conscientious and moral person. That is, a real strong sense of right and wrong. So all of a sudden it hit me to say to this person. I looked him right in the eye and I said, all right, if there's no God, answer this for me. Where did you get your conscience where did you get inside of you this knowledge of what we would find in the Ten Commandments, and yet you reject the Bible, and you reject the God of the Bible, yet within you, you live by, as best you, as you can, you live by the Ten Commandments. Where did you get that? It was a word of wisdom, and it was a word of knowledge, because they were absolutely bumfuzzled. And they had no answer. You know where they got it? God wrote his law on their heart. And that's one of the testimonies of the reality of God. Romans 2 says, even Gentiles who don't have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively, instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it. Powerful. He goes on, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and their own thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. King James Bible says, either accuse or excuse their actions. Even somebody lost that denies God, the conscience that God put in them, will either say to them, you just did right or you just did wrong. And you know what the Bible says? That's one of the ways that God has written his signature on the world. His word 
His law is in your conscience. Lost or found, it's in your conscience. Every person has the law of God written in their hearts, thus knowing right from wrong. Powerful stuff. So there you go. These are ways. Nature, providence, and the conscience are the general ways that God has revealed himself to the human race. But now let's talk tonight about special revelation, the Word of God. Though general revelation is available to everybody, special revelation is available only to those who have access to biblical truth. you got a Bible in your hand. It is the greatest gift you've got. Your greatest possession is your Bible. Let me tell you how unique it is. If I had, if I had ten pebbles up here that I just went and picked off the beach, and nine of them were just earthly rocks, and one of them was a meteorite. I could step back and I could say, well, a rock's a rock. They're all the same. They've got nine that are, that are uh, earthly and one is a meteorite, but they're all the same. They're all rocks, but I would be wrong because nine of them were from earth. One of them was not from earth. There's a million books in the world. They're all from the world. But this one is not from this world. It's a meteorite. Do you get it? It's a meteorite. It's not from this world. Though general revelation is available to everybody, special revelation comes through the Bible. Listen to what Hebrews tells us in Chapter 1, verse 1, tells us long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now, let me just give you a few of the ways that God spoke before we had the Word of God. The avenues of special revelation included these. The lot, the casting of lots, sometimes communicated God's will to man. Now, don't take this and go out and cast lots. I'm telling you, now that we've got the completed canon of Scripture, we don't need to go cast lots. So don't get into lot casting. I'll come rebuke you. Don't do it. Because, you know, it's like the guy said, Oh, Lord, show me your will. I'm just going to let the Bible open up to where it falls. I'm going to know that's where you're talking to me. So he just held his Bible up, and it fell open where Jesus told Peter, or rather Judas, Go and do what thou must do and betray me. Now, is that God speaking to that person? No. The lot. That's what they used to do. Now, here's another way. The Urim and the Thummim. Urim and Thummim. The Urim and Thummim were two precious stones on the breastplate of the high priest that were sometimes used to determine the will of God. And remember, David did this often. David would resort to the Urim and Thummim because they did not have the completed word of God. Now, dreams. We know that Joseph was moved on by dreams. And it's not that dreams are no longer valid because I know I have had spiritual dreams where God absolutely gave me a prophetic word for my own life through a spiritual dream. But they, any dream you get must be run through the filter of the Word of God. Because some of you will dream that God is telling you to leave your spouse. Or you will dream that God's telling you to hold up a 7-Eleven because you're broke. You better run it through the Word of God. Now, dreams, God used dreams to communicate at various times in the Old Testament. Joseph had his dreams, and, 
And God showed him what was going to happen in his future, and they were accurate. All right, I'm trying to move along here. There we go. Uh, visions. Sometimes God used visions, as he did with Isaiah and Ezekiel. Visions. And I do believe that visions can be accurate and valid today, but you better run them through the sifter of the Word of God. All right? Then audible voice. God sometimes spoke with an audible voice. Do you remember when uh, little Samuel was in the uh, temple and he was uh, serving under Eli and all of a sudden God audibly called his name and he thought Eli was calling him. He kept running to Eli saying, what do you want? Eli said, I didn't call you. Well, it was God talking to him. Audible voice. All right? Theophanies. Before the incarnation of Christ, God sometimes manifested himself often as the angel of the Lord to communicate his divine message to the people. See, Jesus has always been, y'all. There was the, the, the pre-Bethlehem Jesus, that is, before he was incarnated, the pre-incarnated Christ, in the oven, in the burning fiery oven with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar looked down there and saw a fourth man, that fourth man was a theophany. It was Jesus in there with his three servants. So that's what a theophany is. But now we don't need theophanies because we've got the real thing. Jesus has come via the incarnation. Now angels. Angels at times carried uh, God's message to people, and I believe angels still minister to the saints today. But if you have a visitation from an angel, you better run it through the Word of God. Are you all with me? Because people see all kinds of things after a Domino's pizza. Especially you go to sleep on it. You can see angels and sometimes demons after that. Now, then the prophets, Old Testament and New Testament prophets, received direct revelation and brought God's message to mankind. And you hold a lot of that in this book right here. Now, miracles and events. God used sign miracles and events, such as the deliverance of Israel, to reveal himself. Elijah, Elisha, Elijah performing seven incredible miracles. Elisha, 14 incredible miracles. <clears throat> These were sign miracles and events that God gave to testify of himself. But now, finally and ultimately, God has spoken through who? <clears throat> Come on, class. Jesus. Jesus Christ. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Thank God. And what are the last days? See that little phrase, last days? The last days began when Jesus rose from the dead. Now we're in the last of the last days. But look right there. Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2 says that as soon as Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again, that began the last days. We're living in the last days. Now, special revelation has ultimately culminated in Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 tells us He is the Word because He is the complete revelation of the Father. John 1, 18 says He reveals what the Father is like. Remember what He said to Philip? Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've been with me so long and you don't get it, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Read the red. You want to know what God is like? Watch Jesus. Track him. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Read what he did, how he treated people, the things he said, how he responded to different circumstances. There you're seeing God. Jesus alone had the authority to say, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Who else can say that? Not me. As much as I act like Jesus, I can say that points to the Father, that I live in a body of flesh and so do you. But Jesus could say, watch every move I make, you're seeing the Father. John 5, 36 to 37, he reveals the Father's compassion. Over and over again, you read of Jesus being moved with compassion. John 6, uh, 63 and 14 and 10, he says he reveals that the Father gives eternal life through the Son. You're not going to get eternal life through Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna. They never said you would. But Jesus said, believe on me and you have eternal life. In Matthew, he determines who will know the Father. Did you know that? He determines who's going to know the Father. John 14, 9, to know Jesus is to know the Father. Now, what do all these things tell us about the Bible? The Bible serves as the most inclusive of all the avenues of special revelation. Here's the book. Here it is. And what you've got in here is 66 love notes from God. 66 books that give us special revelation. Things we would never know about God, about the Son, about the Holy Ghost, if God had not revealed it to us. So that book in your hand is special revelation. It's a meteorite. It's from another world. Now, this is because all that can be known about Jesus Christ is known through the Bible. In a very real way, then, it can be said that special revelation is restricted solely to the Bible. Guarantee you, if God reveals something special to you about your own life in a personal revelation, it'll line up with the Bible. You're going to find it in the Bible. All right? So this Bible... Special revelation is restricted solely to this Bible. Now let's look at what inspiration means. The most basic question about the nature of the Bible centers in its claim to be inspired or to be the Word of God. Now what do we mean when we say to an unbeliever, like I talk to this agnostic, well, I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Am I saying that I believe God has some of His words in it? Or it pretty accurately describes the Father, but it was written by men? What do I mean when I say it's inspired, that the writers were inspiring people? What do I mean? The English word inspiration comes from 2 Timothy 3.16, and here it is. Can we read this together? All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. All right, now notice the word, inspired. It corrects us when we are wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. That's why you've got to stay in it every day. Now, the word is used to translate the Greek term theonoustos. Theonoustos is the Greek word for inspired. Now, let's break that word up. Theos. Theos is the Greek word for God. Neo is to breathe, to breathe out. So what does inspired mean? Let me just quote Benjamin Warfield. Uh, here's what he says, quote, What the claim of inspiration says of Scripture is, not that it is breathed into by God, okay, or the product of the divine in breathing, 
into its human authors. But that the word in your hands, the word, that Bible that you hold, is breathed out by God. Wow. That just gave me Holy Ghost bumps. All right? God breathed the product of the creative breath of God. I couldn't talk to you right now if I wasn't breathing out. When you talk, you're breathing out. That's the way you talk. It's the way I'm talking right now. I breathe in, and then I talk by breathing out. What inspiration is telling us is that God breathed out. He talked. Wow. Mm -mm -mm, I'm having a moment. Because we got to get this, church. We've got to get this. I'm talking by breathing out. God breathed out and spoke every word. God breathed out what he wanted communicated. 2 Peter 1.20, listen to this. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Not one prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, any of the minor prophets, none of them, sat there and said, well, I believe I'm going to write some Scripture today. No. It didn't come from their own initiative. It didn't come from their own motivation. It didn't come from their own understanding. Peter goes on, no, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke from God. Both the prophecy, verse 21, and the recorded fulfillment of it, verse 20, came from God. It did not come from men. It came through men, but it didn't come from men. Look what he says. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture means that complete inspiration from Genesis to Revelations is claimed. Starting Genesis 1.1 all the way to Revelation 22, the Bible says every word of it was breathed out by God. The New Testament, not just the old that Jesus quoted, but the New Testament clearly claims to be the verbally inspired word of God. Listen to Paul at 1 Thessalonians 2. Quote, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, notice, his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. It's a meteorite. It's from another world. In the spirit, it's glowing red hot. It's from another world. It's from the throne room of God, breathed out. Through men. Are you with me, everybody? So Paul says, what we're writing to you are not our ideas. It came from God. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Thank God the word is working mightily in me. And the word is working mightily in you. 
When you open up this Bible in the morning and start your day with the Word of God, you're putting red-hot fire in your bosom. It is the spiritual, red-hot, God-breathed-out Word of God. Thus says the Lord, or its equivalence, occurs more than 2,000 times in the Old Testament. 2,000 times in the Old Testament alone. Thus says the Lord. I'm breathing it out. Inspiration may be defined as the Holy Spirit's superintending over the writers of Scripture so that while writing according to their own styles and their own personalities... The result was still God's Word written, authoritative, trustworthy, and free from error in the original manuscripts. That's inspiration. And I want you to always remember that definition. I mean, when you get your notes and you take it home, you look at this again. Remember that definition because that's how the Word of God came to us. Now, here's some quick elements of inspiration. Several important elements belong in a proper definition of inspiration, the divine element. The prime mover in inspiration is God. God the Holy Spirit superintended the writers, ensuring the accuracy of the writing. The prime mover is God. Though men are involved in the process, the Bible originated with God and was authorized by God. Catch this, if left to himself, the prophet would not have conveyed the message. It was therefore necessary for God to bring the prophetic message to men through the prophet. The Holy Spirit accomplishing the task by bearing him along. It didn't come like this, where here sits Isaiah and all of a sudden something seizes him and grabs his hand and begins to tell him to dictate certain things like divine dictation. That is not the way it came. Because if that's the way it came, you wouldn't have separate, separate personalities, obviously, in all the writers. They were moved, born along by the Holy Spirit God spoke out, gave them his word. It went through the men, through their individual personalities. Where Amos is talking about shepherding. Isaiah is talking about the high courts of Israel. You've got all the different personalities. And yet, God brought every word out as his word. The human element. Though the Bible comes from God, the human writers played an important role in the overall process of inspiration. As they wrote under the direction of the Holy Spirit, they used their own individual writing styles. In inspiration, then, God is the primary cause and the prophets are the secondary causes. Thus, the divine influence did not restrict human activity, but rather enabled the human authors to communicate the divine message accurately. So you hold in your hand... A divine meteorite. There's no other book like it in the whole earth. It was also a verbal revelation. And let me close with this. Inspiration applies also to the very words of Scripture, not just to the ideas. What did Jesus say? Not one jot or one tittle shall pass away till all, every word will be fulfilled. Listen to this amazing statement from Paul. 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, because the spirit reveals what God has given to us. Now, which things we also speak, Paul says, not in words taught by human wisdom, 
but in words taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You know what that's saying? Not just the ideas or the statements in here are from God, but every word, every word, he breathed it out. Man, that's powerful. Over and over again, it is written, it is written. Why did Jesus always say it is written? Because he knew it was the word of God. And Jesus said, every jot and every tittle will be fulfilled. Now here's what we have. Let's stand up together and we're going to close with this. What does that mean that we have? We have an inerrant Bible. That means a Bible without mistake in the original manuscripts. The result of the divine human authorship is a message without error. Praise God. If God is true and the Bible comes from God, then the Bible must be true in all its parts. And that includes Genesis. That includes Jonah and being swallowed by a whale. That includes the creation. That includes the Tower of Babel. That includes the dividing of the Red Sea. That includes Jesus walking on water. That includes everything that obviously is given to us to be literally taken is true. Inerrancy is the view that when all the facts become known, they'll demonstrate that the Bible in its original manuscripts and correctly interpreted is entirely true and never false in all that it affirms, whether that relates to doctrine, ethics, or the social, physical, or life sciences. Well, amen. How many of you are glad that you've got a meteorite in your hands? Amen. That's why this is what whips the devil. It's the Word of God. Lord, thank you for your Word tonight. We thank you for the incredible gift called the Bible. Thank you that we've got mail straight from heaven. Now, Lord, we receive your Word, the same Word you received. And Lord, we thank you for it and that it's our guide, our shield, our sword, our counsel. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.